You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. We're right in the middle, if you're joining us this morning, on a, a, a series that I've been speaking on the gifts of the Spirit. And if you've missed any of them, I'd encourage you to catch up online because... Um, I'm speaking in a series, and I think this will make more sense in the context of the series. We've based it around a little passage in, in Romans 12. And ultimately, the, the gifts are an expression of the grace of God. And they're often developed in a climate of risk-taking and a willingness to, to fail. And I'd say the church, often in smaller settings as well, small groups are often the place to learn to use those gifts and to grow in the development and the exercise of them. Um, but also that they're intended that they're not just used in here, they're used out there in, in the real world, in the real environments and places that we interact with people to bring glory to God and to extend his kingdom, to bring his reign and rule in those environments. But before I launch into the one we're going to look at today, I just wanted to share with you um, a few reflections, really. I am so excited at the minute by what I'm seeing God do among us. I just keep hearing stories. We heard it last night at the welcome dinner, stories of lives changed, stories of people interacting with Jesus, sometimes for the first time coming to know him, falling in love with him, people who have had, had years maybe away from, uh, have, have lived from a place of religion and now are coming to an expression or an understanding of a relationship with with the living God. And um, we've just kind of come to the end of Alpha. For We'll do it again fairly soon, I have no doubt. But they extended it by a week because the demand from the people on it was so high that it was like, they want more, let's keep going. And um, normally with Alpha, when you run it, you see a load of people come at the start and then it starts to wane off a little as people drop off week by week. This one's grown week by week. And there was an incredible demand to just talk about Jesus. Can we just talk about Jesus? Which is like, yes, we can. And um, I think it's amazing what God is doing. There's people who are coming to faith, people who are reconnecting with Jesus or people who have been stirred to fully explore that which surely we would just cry, Lord, more. We long for that to be among us. And um, I love what we're, we're seeing the Father doing. And I think there'll be some of you who have joined us here the first time who are asking questions, who are exploring, is there a God? Is there more to life than I currently know or see? And I want to say, yes, there is. Don't, don't step aside from that. Press in as hard as you can towards it. And um, just as I continue this series on the gifts I wanted to tell you that um, something that happened to me last Sunday night so last Sunday Steph and the, the girls had gone away for a few days and I had a, a list of jobs as long as my arm that I was going to try and achieve with the spare time that I had and I set about um, tidying the garage on the Sabbath those of you that are appalled I also tidied the loft so thankfully we're under grace not law but I, I worked pretty hard until fairly late in the evening and um, I sat on the sofa and I had my standard Sunday night conversation with God. Lord, what shall I speak on next Sunday? I'd love it if we could have that dialogue starting on a Sunday night because then I have a bit of time just to pray about it and let it percolate before actually writing it. And um, 
Then I remembered, oh, we're doing this series. I just do the next one in the series. I don't really need to give it too much wrestling. And then I remembered the next one in the series. And I thought, oh, yeah, I've decided not to do that one. And um, then, then as I'm kind of lying there, partly in exhaustion, I just heard back in my head, why not? And I thought, well, what do you mean, why not? Because I'm not. I don't want to do this one. And um, I'm sorry if that sounds irreverent. I'm just being honest. That's kind of the conversation I felt I was having with God. But then I started probably overthinking it. I was thinking, am I having a conversation with God? Or am I having a conversation with myself that has got an opposing view that is quite strong on the other side? And so then I've gone off just for quite a while thinking about how do you hear from God, what are promptings of the Holy Spirit, is this conversation with God or is this just a conversation with, my mind, with myself? And I got lost there for quite a bit. How do we hear God speak? Well, we normally hear him just through the gentle promptings of the Holy Spirit, which sometimes can just be a slight voice inside you that you know is him. So anyway, I've, I've gone through all of that and I've got back on track and I've got back to thinking about this talk. I'm not doing that one. So there's then this long pause why not? So I had a long pause myself and thought, well, because it's not right for the church at the minute. Well, what do you mean it's not right for the church at the minute? Says who? Well, me. So then there's this, there's this even longer pause, and I'm like kind of slightly lost then thinking, should I just put Netflix on? And um, <laughs> whose church is it? Oh, well, it's your church. So who says it's best then? I, I don't know, it might seem irreverent to you that the Lord was speaking that way, but that's the conversation I was having. And I kind of said, fair enough, but I don't want to do it. And uh, anyway, this goes on and on and on and on and on. And I did go to bed, but it kind of trickled into Monday. And um, by which time I've, I've, I've started to repent of a horrendously stubborn attitude and said, Lord... I think he's saying I should do it anyway, so I'll do it anyway. Now, that's not to say, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, I've heard from the Lord. This is a word from the Lord for you. And what they say is, um, I, I would say we hear in part. And so a lot of that discussion I was having with the Lord, I would say was in part. It's just a reflection in a mirror. And I think it's really dangerous when people say, I've heard this from the Lord, the Lord is saying this, and they kind of use it to to hurt people. Oh, the Lord has told me to tell you this. That can be a dangerous place to be. But it, it wasn't like that at all. It was just this back and forth, honest conversation. And I kind of wanted to, to say that to you this morning before I even started, because what I wanted to say is I wanted to skip this one, but I felt the Spirit of God convict me, because I want to talk about giving the gift of giving. And the reason I think I was resistant is because we've just done this whole big giving thing. We've just done the whole building, the vision for it. You've given a phenomenal amount of money. And there can be a real danger that we start to overdo it, that you start to feel some kind of pressure or we place a, a very uneasy focus on finances and giving. And I wouldn't want it to be that way at all. I've been in churches and I've been in church environments where I've sat there thinking, all right, calm, calm down a little bit. And I've watched TV preachers 
flashing up the credit card details and asking you to stretch out an hand and pray for increase. And actually, we had somebody in the earlier days in the life of this church when we were in our old, in the, in the previous venue, who prior to even coming, prior to any interaction with any of you or any of us, phoned us up and said, um, this is what I'm going to be giving. And I'll come along, but I want you to know this is what I'm going to be giving. And I said, the first thing I said was, please don't tell me what you're going to be giving. That's between you and the Lord. But also, you don't need to give to come. Goodness me, please, let's not have this conversation. Anyway, I pressed them a bit on it, and I basically found an incredibly heartbreaking situation. They were in a very difficult financial situation, whereby, as a church, we tried to actually help them and uh, meet some of their need. But what I was gobsmacked by was such was their previous experience of church or interactions with church that they felt they couldn't come without first declaring what they would give. And to even come first, they would need to declare what they were giving. I, I was gutted for them, honestly gutted. I think um, we quite deliberately as a church have actually made it fairly hard for people to find out how to give. If you go on the website, it's not going to be the first thing you see. We've toyed with the idea of not even having the baskets come round on a Sunday. I think if we did that, though, there is a danger that we lose the intentional reality of the, the mindset and the heart and the sacrifice of, of doing that. But I just wanted to say... Whatever I say this morning, don't feel pressure, don't feel obligation, don't feel manipulation. I think that's it's horrendous, and it's not who we want to be. I try to rarely talk about this, and when I do, I try and do it in the most sensitive way possible. So why am I going to talk about this? Well, this is a huge part of our discipleship, a significant part of our discipleship, and it's a spiritual gift. To, I think it's healthy we see this as a spiritual gift, and I would be robbing you, excuse the pun, um, I'd be robbing you if we didn't discuss it today. This is a gift. This isn't just a thing. This isn't an obligation. This is a gift, and ultimately the gifts are an expression of God's work and God's grace in our lives. It may surprise you to realize just how much the Bible talks about money. There's over 2,300 verses on money, wealth, and possessions. Jesus spoke more about money, uh, roughly 15% of his preaching, 11 out of the 39 parables. It was, it was his, probably, actually, his most talked about topic. The Bible talks about money because God loves you, and he doesn't want it to harm you. He wants you to use it as a tool to bless and to serve and to love family and others and to fund the advancement of his kingdom. Money is important to the extent that how we think about it will affect how we act and how we behave with it. Taking that one step further, how we think and behave with money really reflects our heart and our spiritual health, when we hoard money, when we're envious of others' money, or when we spend money that we don't have, debt, we get ourselves in a bit of a mess. Jesus presents us with a clear choice. He says, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Jesus spoke about money not because he was obsessed with it or that he wanted us to have lots of it, but because he knew that money was a significant heart issue and that it's one of the most likely reasons that we would struggle to follow him or give up following him. Matthew 6.19 says this, it says, Do not store up treasure here on earth for yourself where moths and vermin will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where the moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's just read the passage. We've looked at it a few times over the last few weeks, but Romans 12, jumping in at verse 6, says this. It says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain kinds of things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love one another with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Let's, let's just have a little look at that and then pack it as we look at a few things but I want to start with generosity the passage says give generously so what what is that what is it to to be generous my mind often takes me first to the place when I think about what something is to what it isn't what isn't it It, it's not been stingy it's not begrudgingly it's not oh because I have to it's not oh I'm just going to do the minimum just the minimum just to get by. It's not, oh, I'm not even doing it anyway. It's generously. Generously is open-handed, warm-hearted. It's to share, to steward what God has already given. Now, my personal view of giving would be, and I I won't go fully into it because I think I have done it in other talks. Actually, I say my personal view. I don't think it's my personal view. I think it would be my reflection of what is in the Bible, but I would say I do believe in tithing. I do believe that giving 10% of your income to God is not just an Old Testament principle. Now, can we get away with doing less? Is it just an Old Testament thing? My worry, even with using a 10% kind of figure, leads us into the wrong place and the wrong mindset because it's kind of what can I get away with? What's the minimum that I have to do? Whereas it should be, how can I get as close to Jesus as I possibly can with everything that I am? I don't think we've been designed in a 10% mentality. God is a radically generous God. Even if we said that tithing is an Old Testament principle, giving 10% of our income is a 10% principle, well, we've now got the light of the New Testament. And we now know that God sent his son into the world to reveal himself, to die for us, and to embody for us a way to live who can now know the fullness of the glory of God among us and to know his love for us in the way that the people of the Old Testament didn't. So we who have received so many more blessings than the people of the Old Testament, should we say to God, hey, as a result of you giving me so much more than those of the Old Testament, I'm going to give you less 
than they gave. You've done so much more for me, but I'm going to give you less. I, I, I don't think that's healthy, to be honest. I think a tithe is a, is a minimum. We, we want to be people who go way beyond that, because even if we gave 10% faithfully, it doesn't mean that we come away with a right or healthy perspective on the other 90%. We're to honor God, not with a percentage, but with all that we possess. This isn't a 10% thing, this is a 100% thing. Lord, he's not part of me, he's all of me. We bring it into the storehouse, into the church, and then we're generous over and above that. And I guess it's the over and above that that I really want to talk about today. I think that's the context of the passage. This is, this is a giving. The grace of giving, the gift of giving, is it's contributing to the needs of others. And the passage says if we're to do that, do it generously. Give generously, the passage says. Generously, I think, could also be translated with simplicity. This really refers to our motive of giving. Those who have this gift are to exercise it without an ulterior motive or a hidden purpose, simply out of love. When we give, it's simply to the glory of God and to meet the needs of others. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. You know, sometimes when people talk about giving, I've heard the word used, contribution. It's really the ability to see financial need and to step in to help meet that need in the lives of others. And as Paul writes here, to do that requires generosity. Giving generously does not require somebody to be wealthy. It can be a mistake, I think, to, to think that way. But each of the gifts that are mentioned so far, I would say are everybody's gifts. These are accessible and available to all of us, and we're encouraged to press into them. This isn't a wealth thing. This is a heart thing. And as we soften, ours to the, soften ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we allow him to encourage us and prompt us and help us to exercise that gift. There's a few things I would say that as followers of Jesus to the watching world, we do, should do, or could do, that are really quite phenomenal. One of them would be, Jesus said in John 13, he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Our love for each other is remarkable to a watching world. It transforms not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. Another one would be John 17, he says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Our unity, not only our love, but our unity is incredible to the world around us. I think it should make quite a remarkable impact as they see the power of God in the unity that is displayed because the presence of God is among us. I would say love, unity, but also generosity. I've seen it multiple times. The generosity of the people of God as the Spirit moves among us is an incredibly powerful sign to those around us. Years ago... Um, Steph and I were in a church, and if you've heard us share some of our story, you'll have heard some of this before, but, but years ago, Steph was quite unwell and was off work for a long period of time. And I was at uni and wasn't being paid at all while we were doing that. So financially, we were really tight, and we're living by faith, pretty much. The, the whole thing was like, we're just relying on the Lord to provide here. We don't have an income. 
And um, we got this car repair bill, and I'll never forget it. It's one of them where you just see it coming at you, and you're going to have to do something, but you don't know what you're going to do. And I remember feeling quite emotional about it. It was weld-ending. It became bigger than it was. Looking back, it wasn't actually as weld-ending as it felt. But you know when there's, there's, there's the thing that isn't the thing becomes the thing, because that's the trigger of this problem is bigger than a car repair bill. We actually don't have money coming in. And this is just the trigger point of a, of a wider stress. Now, I can't remember, I was trying to rack my brains, I can't remember the exact amount, but I do remember it was quite a lot and it was a random amount. It wasn't like rounded off to a pound. So it was something around 237.43. And um, now, now the cynic would say, why do you need a car? That's, you know, when, you, when you're feeling tight, it's like everyone's looking at you, why have you got a car? Neither of you working. What have you got a car for? Now, we would have said at the time, we were completely spent on the kingdom. Completely. We're giving lifts to people. We're shifting stuff. We're picking young people up all the time, helping them be at things and have community. Losing the car didn't seem the right option, and we didn't feel that was right before God. So we prayed. I'd love to say that we prayed a well-measured, balanced kind of prayer. You know, Lord, what do you think? How are you in this? It wasn't that kind of prayer. It was like a panic prayer. It was like, help, 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 and please help quickly kind of thing. If you don't help, basically we're stuffed. Um, so it was, it was like, that was my panic prayer. And uh, in those moments, the full reality of it crashes in. You know, you just become consumed by the weight of it. And for those of you that feel the pinch or the pain of finances, you'll know what that's like. It's often not the wider picture, it's the little thing that can just tip you over the edge and it becomes very all-consuming and quite claustrophobic. So anyway, there's this couple in the church and um, they're dating. And is dating the right word? I'm always like, that is... My granddad would say courting. I'm like, please don't use that word. But <laughs> anyway, they're like seeing each other, however we want to word that. And um, anyway, they were... They hadn't had a conversation, but they'd independently decided to stick some money through our letterbox. Now, I just need you to know a few things about that. First one is, they hadn't chatted about it. So they hadn't had a conversation with each other at all about doing that, let alone what they might give. Now, the second point was, they didn't even know we had a need. So they're giving generously, but they're not giving to a need. They're just giving generously, and they haven't had a conversation about it at all. Now, what I want to say is there's the first miracle. It's the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be generous, and the outflowing of that is the gifts, because they're his gifts that he gives. It's just generosity expressed as a gift. Now, so we open an envelope, which I had at that time a fear of opening envelopes, because normally they're bills, when you're under it, you're like, oh, here's another bill. They're all online now. But at that time, it was like they're coming through the letterbox. So I'm ready for the next bill. And it had a random amount of cash in the envelope. Now, I remember having a debate with the Lord. Please don't judge me. I'm just trying to be honest. It's not a great debate. It's kind of like the one I had last Sunday night. But I've got two things going on my head. First one is, Lord, if you're going to give a gift, don't you round it up or down? Like, this is a random amount of money. And the second one is, I'm slightly more ashamed to say, but it's just the truth is, thank you, Lord, but it's not enough. Like, what? If you're going to do it, aren't you going to do it? 
And um, I know that's a really bad attitude and incredibly ungrateful. Please forgive me, that was years ago. Anyway, um, anyway, I open the second envelope, because there's two, and it's not a bill. There's a check in it for another very random amount, which starts to make sense until you get your calculator out and you realize it's to the penny of the amount we needed. Absolutely to the penny. Now, there's a few things that start happening in your mind. Firstly, you start feeling very sheepish about your attitude when you open the first envelope. <laughs> Let's like, just kind of skim over that, now I've told you. But the second one is any doubts that you've got over selling the car, they've kind of gone because the exact amount has just come in. But thirdly, and this is the one that is kind of life-changing, is your faith goes through the roof your faith of what God is capable of. Because when you're faced now, and we face this many times, whenever we're faced with a financial decision, even like going for the building that we went for, we're like, well, Lord, as long as you've said it, it doesn't really matter. Because you know what you're doing. And I remember, I still remember, I just go, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. You are faithful. All seeing, all knowing God, we have no choice but to bow before you and trust you. Now, they gave in a way that we actually knew it was them that had given. And so when we told them the story, how encouraging, incredible it was for them, but then hearing their story of how they both sensed to give random amounts and going on a journey of this feels really silly to give 30-odd P as, as a wider amount in an envelope. What an encouragement for them. Giving is a gift. Generosity is a gift. And we're called to exercise that gift, and it takes risk. It takes stepping out in faith, but what a remarkable blessing it is to do it. If the first point is generosity, the second point is sacrifice. Years ago, I used to own this dark green Peugeot 306. They don't, I don't think they even make them anymore. It's like a, I don't know. I was going to say it's an icon, but it's not. It was useless. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I was, it was tired and I just kept limping this, this car on. And anyway, one day I turned the key, but I was trying to go to work and I just turned it and you just hear a click. It was like, it was like that, you could hear it in the, the engine, nothing else, it didn't start. So I did what you do, I phoned my dad and I was like, um, dad, what do I do? And he's like, oh, it's probably the starter motor. And um, he's like, basically, if you hit it, it's gonna work. Great, so now on, on, on any day, not just because I was going to be late for work, that is actually easier said than done. This is um, pre-FaceTime. So trying to find the starter motor was like the first challenge. You don't just have a Haynes manual hanging around. So I've got the bonnet up, and uh, I'm trying to find the starter motor. Now, I worked out that with the window down and my left hand on the key, at full stretch with an extra long hammer, I could get to the front of the car, which was where the starter motor was, and I could belt it, and um, you had to belt it at the exact split second that you turn the key, jump in the driving seat, give it absolute full revs, get it going a bit, jump out, drop the bonnet, and off you go, life's, life's good. And um, I had to do that every time I wanted to start the engine, whatever the weather. So even if you stall at the traffic lights, everyone's like, what's this guy doing? Window down, bonnet up, hammer out, smack the thing. And, um, Okay, I, I'm not into like crowd participation because it's not good for you. It makes you feel awkward, particularly if you're new. But how long do you think I did that for? Two years. 
two years. And the only reason I stopped is eventually I couldn't do it anymore because I'd whacked the start and put it so many times, I actually smacked a hole through the front of the thing because it had worn the metal down. So with my dad, I go to get a spare starter motor from the scrap heap. Guess how much it cost, including fitting? Actually, that's a trick question. There was no fitting bill because I did it with my dad because he knows how to do that thing. He was a car mechanic. Eight pound. <laughs> Eight pound for the starter motor from a scrap heap. Eight pound would have saved the most ridiculous behavior for two years. Now, I just kind of thought, you've kind of got the story, but you haven't really until you realize Every morning, do you think how many times you stop your car at the supermarket, at the petrol station, when you're a young, irresponsible driver that seems to stall it at every set of traffic lights, every time you turn that engine off, window down, bonnet up, hammer out the boot, smack it, turn the kit. It was ridiculous. Jump in, rev it up, well, bonnet back down. I'm like, two years for eight quid. I'm embarrassed to tell you. You know, to give... And to give generously involves sacrifice. I didn't get the starter motor fixed because in my head I'd built this up to be a huge amount of money. I'd placed like a, a fear over the repair cost. The sacrifice was going to be too great. How will I ever afford it? I'll just keep whacking it with a hammer. You know, fear, I would say, has been, always is and always will be one of the principal enemies of a growing faith. Not just around finances, but fear will affect the growth of your faith. It's got a way of clouding our thinking and it has a way of obscuring the facts. You may know precisely how God would want you to handle your finances, but fear, fear has the potential to freeze you in your tracks or send you down another path com completely. It's important to remember that fear and faith go hand in hand. You know, by nature, when you pursue a growing faith, you increase your exposure to potential fear. You may have decisions even this week you've got to make. Actually, stepping out in faith, you'll, you'll see a quick obstacle of fear. But fear and faith live in parallel in our lives. Uncertainty is an essential element. It's an ingredient for both. Without the element of the unknown, actually there can be no faith. It's in the moment of faith that we learn to rely less on ourselves and on what is seen and we lean more on God. Faith is the, is the key component that kind of bridges the gap between the two. But also in that moment of faith, we're most vulnerable to fear. Many of us would know how we'd like to give, how we'd like to be generous, but often fear can kick in before we have time to bridge that gap between fear and faith. Often in doing so, we, we stick, I would say, we're just smacking the starter motor for a couple of years until we step into that new place of freedom. I could have easily moved into a new way of living. It's, it's no accident that the Bible really addresses this kind of stuff head on. There's no drought when it comes to verses designed to help us let go of our fear and to embrace God and his God-given calling to us to be generous stewards rather than fearful owners. I think that's really important to grasp. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be generous stewards, not fearful owners. God's nature is to replenish the stores of those that strive to be faithful conduits 
of his kingdom work. If I can put it another way, the thing to fear isn't giving away too much. It's sowing too little. We're supposed to be generous givers who sow of what has been given. Generosity requires sacrifice. If the first point was generosity and the second one is it involves sacrifice, the third and the final one is this, this is an act of worship. This is an expression of our worship. The context of this passage, the place that we find the gifts discussed in this way, the backdrop of, of, of this is, is talking about lives of surrender and full abandonment to the purpose of God. If we just jump back a little bit in Romans to the start of the, of the chapter, it says this. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is, the tr this is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The call in our lives is to be countercultural. In Romans 12, Paul describes the worship of God as becoming a living sacrifice to God, giving up, seeking what we want from life, and learning to understand and to know how to serve what he wants for and with our lives. And that begins with using our spiritual gifts to serve each other in the church. Paul's list of commands describes the lifestyle of setting aside, of sacrifice, of laying down, of being people that prefer others, being generous and letting that lead to sacrifice. That's an act of worship holy and pleasing to God. The manifestation of the spirit among us is not meant to be the exception. It's supposed to be the norm. To how many of us has God given spiritual gifts? To all of us. To every one of us. Now, some of you might think, well, not what to me, what Paul talks about in this passage or in the equivalent passages in Corinthians, that hasn't happened to me. And my answer is, yeah, it has. It's just at the minute you might not have had the practice or the encouragement to recognize it and to know how best to respond to it. I'd encourage you, don't look at others in a way that becomes a barrier. Look at others in a way that becomes a bridge because there's a danger that we start to link some of these gifts to personality traits. I don't think it works like that. I don't say, well, I haven't, I haven't got what you've got and we become jealous. I think it's easier to say, well, I've got the right soil and I've got the opportunity to step into all that God has for me. Spiritual gifts aren't just given to mature people. They're given to willing people who are willing to take risk and make sacrifices and step into them. If we ask for the gifts and seek them in the way that the Bible tells us to, we get more of them. They're gifts that we ask for, that he encourages us to ask for, and as we step out, they come more upon us. Now, the best bit, I would say, of all of this, of all of this is we all get to do it. This is an all of us thing. Honestly, I'd, I'd encourage you to go and be more generous this week, but not just this week, for the rest of your lives. Be generous. It will involve sacrifice, but that in and of itself is an act of worship that is holy 
and pleasing to God. As we speak the words and do the works of Jesus, we're to train and equip others in the process, giving away all that we've learned along the way so far. Because the message of Jesus is the words and the works accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. So foundational to it. This isn't an us thing. This is a him through us. He empowers it and he equips us. So I want to say this morning, if you hear nothing else, I guess, is giving is a spiritual gift. It's a gift. Go and go and do it. Go and give. Because it's a gift that we have to give away. Now, it's, it's quite hard when I was thinking about this to be able to tell you stories because most of us would realize that particularly with, with giving, this kind of stuff is done best between you and Jesus. What I, what I, I would say is you, you get glimpses of what God is doing and you start to see it. And I'd say the Lord is moving profoundly among us. When I was younger, we used to sing this song. It's always stuck in my head. I'm not going to sing it. It's not quite, because I'm not singing it. It doesn't quite sound like it makes sense. But it, it was basically um, give generously, give secretly, smile cheerfully. It's a pleasure giving to Jesus. This is, this is meant to be a secret thing, but it's meant to be a pleasure thing. You're very generous people. One of the stories I did accidentally stumble across is just knowing, that, you know, as a church, we give 15% of everything that's given to things that don't directly benefit us. A couple of you have a similar percentage in mind that you have personally as well. You just give it away. Of the percentage of your income, you say, we're going to use this every month just to bless, serve, love, and we're going to find creative ways to give it away. I, I always dreamt that one day as a church we would have a fund that would allow us to do that kind of thing on a whole nother level. You know, like, uh, actually, let me read it. It's in, um, let me see if I can find it. Um, it's, it's this bit where it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Don't you love that? That's what it should be among us. I dream that that will grow, that that would be a thing among us that all the believers were united in heart and mind. That, I, you have to read that a few times because it doesn't say a few of us. It doesn't say, oh, just a couple of us. It's all of us would be united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. That's profound. That only happens, I think, when the Spirit of God comes powerfully among us. Now, as, as, we, as we form community among us, you can't program it, you can't fake it, you can't structure it. You've got along that the Spirit forms that among us and it naturally starts to emerge. I'd say we long and we pray for the same with giving, that it would be something that just grows, that the Lord would, would water it, that, that we'd learn to be more generous and that we'd steward well what we have because this is a gift. The passage says... If that gift is giving, give generously. There's an expression and an extension of the grace of God as we give and we give generously. Time's it. Well, I've kind of finished, but I don't know. I don't I couldn't quite feel like I've landed what I was trying to say, but <laughs> let let me let me rob you for one more minute. I I think um, I, what I'm trying to say is listen to the voice of God. You know, talking about generosity is kind of like um, 
stepping out in generosity is kind of like hanging in the air. You know, where, where th th there is a, there's a terrifying element to it. Many of you will have heard of the, the theory and the process of discipleship, but it's actually harder then to go and do it. But, you know, God will say many things to you. I think he may say, um, let, let's say it's around relationships. If God is saying give up a relationship, go out, hang over the edge of potential loneliness and to choose him first, that's a terrifying place. Will anybody ever catch me? Will I ever be in a relationship? Am I just going to be in this place for eternity? I, it's similar with giving. You're kind of saying, God, God, I trust you financially is a huge step of faith. You're kind of hanging over the edge for a while. You've maybe been living in the way of the world, but I think God, I hope today, is, is, is calling you to the way of Jesus. And that means living differently. You have to write the check. You might have to give something up. You might have to step out in faith. And if you're you just hang in there with, I don't know whether I can do this. I don't know whether I can afford this. I'd... Growth happens in those moments. Growth happens in the experience of truth, not just the recognition of it. You might know this is a head thing, but for a heart thing, we need to practice it and to live it out. We can believe that Jesus is telling us, trust your father but when that's within a co control parameter where you don't actually have to do it that's a completely different thing this is a gift giving is a gift you know as I was reflecting on it I was kind of zapped again if I'm honest just by this is a gift this is a privilege this is something I want to actively do and want to do more not just the theory of it but the reality of it and what a tragedy if we don't grasp that. Verse, verse 13 says, when God's people are in need, we're ready to help them. When we, when we come up against the kind of the border of the fullness of the moment that God is challenging us on and we don't step into it. If you've got a moment today, I think some of you will be having a moment. If we don't step into that moment, what we often do is just go into a wilderness for a season where you'll probably come back to the same place and the same decision multiple times and get that choice again. But I'd encourage you, don't bother with the wilderness. Just step into the moment of what God is telling you. It's a lot easier just to step into the fullness of obedience. And I think it's a gift. I want to pray that the Lord lands that on some of you. This is a gift. It's not a finances thing. It's not a I'm really wealthy thing. It's, it's a gift to be generous. It's a gift to give of what you've been given. It's a, I think it's more of a heart and a stewardship thing. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.